As we read Genesis chapter 48 and most of chapter 49 this morning, Jacob and all his descendants have been living in Egypt in the land of Goshen for the past 17 years. It's been 12 years since the famine ended, so they've been cruising for a little while here in Goshen. Jacob is 147 years old. Joseph is about 59 years old. And Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, are around 19 or 20 years old. Late teens, maybe, maybe tipped over into the early 20s, so you don't have a picture of a little toddler this morning. You have a, a picture of really a young man. And when Joseph is told that Jacob is dying, Jacob blesses his descendants in accordance with God's plan of redemption from its beginning promise in the garden to its complete fulfillment in Christ. That's our sermon theme this morning, if you want to follow along and the sermon outline uh, provided for you in your bulletin. I'll read this in sections as we move through the passage, beginning in chapter 48, verses 1 to 20. After this, after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make, you, make of you a company of peoples and give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came to Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me. Please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. 
Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, I will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Well, I don't think we really knew that Joseph's sons were even up for adoption. Even Joseph didn't know that. But Jacob makes Manasseh and Ephraim his own sons, which we should see as a promotion in covenant terms. They become sons of Israel under God's covenant. They will later be referred to as the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So they have now a direct inheritance from Jacob, their grandfather. It looks, like they're, it looks here like they're replacing Simeon and Reuben, who seem to disappear actually later in Scripture in terms of inheritance. And Joseph agrees to the adoption. But both Jacob and Joseph know that it's a demotion in worldly terms. These boys have an inheritance in Egypt. Their mother is the daughter of a high priest, and their father is second only to Pharaoh. They are being transferred out of the house of Pharaoh and into the household of Jacob in Goshen. These boys will not be known as princes of Egypt, and they will be denied any inheritance in Egypt, which, which would have been a great inheritance. They will be called by Jacob's name. They will be called Israel. And their inheritance will be in Canaan. And God will make them fruitful and multiply them. You see, Jacob has grounded the blessing he's about to give them in the covenant God made with him at Bethel. Luz is Bethel. Back in chapter 28, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you of you a company of peoples, and give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So Manasseh and Ephraim will be direct inheritors of the land of promise. Then we all get a little nervous in the story. As Jacob blesses his grandsons slash sons, because it reminds us a little bit of Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau back in chapter 27. Like Isaac, Jacob's eyes are dim and he cannot see. He musters, he musters all of his strength just, just to sit up in bed. And so Joseph carefully positions the boys so that Manasseh, the older son, would be at Jacob's right hand and Ephraim will be, who's the younger son, will be at jo jo Jacob's left hand, and then he bows his head with his face to the earth as Jacob prays and blesses the boys. Then suddenly, Joseph sees that, that old Jacob has crossed his hands. His right hand's on Ephraim's head, and his left hand's on Manasseh's head, and, and Joseph yells, no! Even as he grabs the old man's hand and moves it, he jerks it over to Manasseh's head. Not this way, my father. What way is Joseph referring to? It could be as simple as 
the way of worldwide tradition and custom. Every people in every country, the, the firstborn comes first. And the secondborn comes second. Joseph has raised Manasseh these 19 or 20 years to become the leader of the family. He has trained Manasseh's character to bear the weight of responsibility. It also could be that Joseph knows his father's past. How Jacob pulled a switcheroo on Isaac to steal Esau's blessing and inheritance. And he's crying out, no. Not the old deception and trickery. God's rescued us from that. Please, don't go back to that. But he's not. This is not personal favoritism. And it's not an old man's mistake. Jacob reassures Joseph, I know. I know, my son. This adoption isn't Jacob's idea. Placing Ephraim before Manasseh isn't Jacob's idea. It's God's idea. And it's God's plan. Here, not before, not in the other years, but here, Jacob's prayer and blessing are revelatory. Jacob is a prophet. Jacob hears directly from God. We've seen that. And he is a prophet revealing the will of God that has been revealed to him. God will make Manasseh fruitful and multiply him to become a great people. He will be blessed by God according to God's plans, not Joseph's plans. But God has chosen Ephraim to surpass him. God will make Ephraim fruitful and multiply him to become a multitude of nations. This is God's plan revealed to Jacob, and Jacob is acting by faith in God's word. From now on, the boys will be known as Ephraim and Manasseh in that order. You know, Jacob has not always acted by faith. Hardly so. Hardly so. But here he is. In fact, when the author of Hebrews includes Jacob in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. In fact, turn there. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. It's, it's the Hall of Faith chapter. I'm asking you to look at this because you won't believe it just coming out of my mouth. You're going to need to see it in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. This is, this is the episode in Jacob's life that he points to. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You see, that is faithful Jacob. Old man Jacob, at his weakest, is at his strongest by God's grace. You may recognize that from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. What a hopeful picture for you and me. Jacob, the sinner. Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the man who refused God's comfort for 22 years. Where sin increased in Jacob's life, God's grace abounded all the more in Jacob's life. You might recognize that from Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Yes, there were times, many times, when Jacob, who wrestled with the angel, let go his grasp on God, but God never let go his grasp on Jacob. Do you have that grace in your life? Yes, 
Jacob is old and blind and weak. And yet, while his outer self was wasting away, his inner self was being renewed day by day for the last 17 years. You may recognize that from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Are you being renewed in your inner self day by day? Turn to Christ so that the grace of God may reign in your life through righteousness that leads to eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the, that's the follow-through. That's Romans chapter 4, verse 5, verse 21, where sin increased, Paul writes. Grace abounded all the more, so that grace also must reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Jacob's gospel. This is the good news that Jacob is preaching to you this morning, Because he finally knows it. He finally knows his God by faith and is living according to that faith. Listen to how Jacob describes his God in the gospel as he blesses the boys with faith in verse 15. He is the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He's gracious and he hasn't changed. He is the confirmed, consistent, committed covenant God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is everlasting, and so is the salvation that he gives to all who believe in him. It's an everlasting salvation. Jacob goes on. He is the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He didn't know that the angels ascending and descending on the ladder would be doing the work of God throughout his whole life, but they were. He didn't know that the angel he had grasped hold of, would prevail in his life, but he did. He didn't know that God was always with him to comfort him, even in the worst of times and in the greatest of his losses. But now he knows. Now he knows that the Lord is his shepherd and that he shall not want. Now he knows Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who has laid down his life for his sheep. In verse 16, Jacob remembers the angel of God, the messenger of God, who, God whose, whose gospel has prevailed in his life. His God is the one who redeemed him from all evil. And he pleads with this God saying, bless these boys. What does it mean to say bless you? Not when somebody sneezes. What does it mean to say bless you? Not the many casual, flippant, even self-righteous ways we use the word blessing in our daily conversations today. What does it actually mean for Jacob to pray for God to bless these boys? What does it mean for Jacob to bless these boys? It is to pray that the one true and unchanging God, who has faithfully shepherded me all my life, even when I didn't know it, the God who saved this selfish, deceiving sinner by his grace, would be your God and would save you from your sins. That's what it means when Jacob says, bless you, to these boys. That they will be called Israel, the people of God, and that by this grace, God would grow them into a multitude. That's his blessing. Honestly, we haven't liked Jacob much. But we do now. You have permission to like Jacob. 
The reason is because we are far more like Jacob than we are like Joseph. And we have seen the power of the living God active in Jacob's life. Jacob knows God more today than he did the day before. Jacob is finally the faithful man of God and God's prophet. Passing the blessing of the gospel down to his sons and grandsons. And we can finally say, we want to be like him by the grace of God and the mercy of God. Pick up in verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. The scene here with Joseph ends with Jacob blessing Joseph and giving him a gift. We didn't know this before, but at some point in Jacob's life, he fought the Amorites and took possession of a plot of land in Canaan. And Jacob gives that plot of land in Canaan to Joseph. Now, some commentators attribute this gift to Jacob's old favoritism. But I think we have evidence now that Joseph is actually worthy of this gift. Beyond favoritism. You see, Joseph has always believed in the promises of God, while his brothers did not. In the next chapter, Jacob is going to give Joseph first place over all the brothers in his blessing and in his inheritance. But there's also a hint of prophecy and providence in this gift. You see, the Hebrew word translated mountain slope is the word Shechem. It's the same Shechem that we read about in chapter 35. It's also the same Shechem, if we were to move forward, in Joshua chapter 24, where the children of Israel will, will bury Joseph's bones in the land. So Jacob blesses Joseph, saying, God will bring you again into the land of your fathers, and then Jacob hands him the title to that plot of land, Shechem. Now Jacob has some hard things to say to many of his sons. <clears throat> it's a bit of a misnomer to call Jacob's words in chapter 49 a blessing, which is the common heading in all of our Bibles. He's a prophet speaking a word of prophecy. It's an oracle. It's a prophetic announcement. It includes blessings and curses. It reflects the character of each of the sons. It captures past sins and some past successes. It points to promises and fulfillments. Jacob is a prophet, and his words are revelatory. They are given him by God. And when we look at this, when we read this, we see that the clear emphasis is on Judah and Joseph. You just can't miss it. Let me begin by reading verses 1 to 12. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, just, just a, little, a little reminder here. They've all gathered around. They're all hearing what he says. He's looking them in the eye, and they're looking him in the eye. And he says, Reuben, 
You are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of war and violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his vesture in blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Well, Reuben and Simeon fade away in the scripture. Uh, Levi is scattered in an interesting way. The priests will come from Levi, but rather than being given their own land, They'll be assigned to the various tribes in the various lands, so they won't be gathered. They'll just be scattered throughout the land. But of Leah's sons, Judah is greatly blessed. It's those verses 8 to 12. You see, Judah is the promise. We thought it would be Joseph. But Joseph is more of a fulfillment character. We'll talk about that in a minute. Judah is the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham, the seed of promise. Judah answers the question, where will the Messiah come from? Where will the serpent crusher and the one who blesses come from? Which is interesting because Judah got off to a bit of a rocky start. He was not the preeminent son, not the innocent son, not the believing son. And yet, all his brothers will praise him. Judah looks, or Jacob looks at Judah and says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Now this sounds a little bit like Jacob's, or excuse me, Joseph's dream. All of Joseph's brothers bowed down to him, but none of his brothers praised Joseph. But all of Judah's brothers shall praise him. This is both messianic language and kingly language. He will crush his unrighteous enemies. He is the victorious conqueror. Judah was among Satan's prey, but he has risen up and is powerful. He's like a lion. First he's a cub, then he he grows up, and then he's like a protective lioness. No one's going to go after her. He is the supreme one over his brothers. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. You see, Judah is the bloodline of Abraham, and the Messiah shall come from his kingly line. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5.
Read with me from Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll at its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood... You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Because the seed of Judah is Jesus. That's who he's talking about. Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Messiah. Jesus is the king whom the people will obey. And he will bring grace and blessing You see, wine is symbolic of prosperity and abundance. The wine will flow like water in Jesus' day, so much that you can use it to wash your clothes in if you want. But notice that the wine doesn't lose its value just because of its plenty. He washed his garments in wine and his vestiture in the blood of grapes. You can see the depth and riches of his grace in Jesus' eyes, which are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it's just an old Hebrew idiom that means that he'll be good looking. He will be attractive to us. In Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus, the suffering servant, is not attractive to us. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. But now, now we see him in Hebrews chapter 12. He's Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now he's majestic. Now he's beautiful. Now he's attractive to us. Jesus Christ will come from the blessed line of Judah to bless all the nations of the earth with salvation. Jesus is our promised Messiah and our triumphant King, and we praise Him. Let's pick up in verse 13. We'll cover the rest of the sons. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. 
he saw that a resting place was good and that land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites at the horse's heels so that the rider falls backward. I, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears fruitful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you. By the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts of the womb. The blessing of your father, blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Well, it's interesting that in the middle of the six sons born by the maidservants to Jacob, Jacob prays in verse 18, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. They all hear Jacob pray this out loud right in front of them. It's as if he's exasperated at the negative examples of the men of his, who are his sons, and he declares salvation can't come from these men. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And now of Rachel's sons, Joseph is blessed, verses 22 to 26. He is not the firstborn either, but he is clearly preeminent among his brothers. Joseph is a type of Christ because he has fulfilled his Christ-like role in his day. So while Judah shows us where Christ will come from, Joseph shows us what Christ will be like. Jacob looks at Joseph. And he says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Joseph is like the blessed man in Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Doesn't that sound like Joseph? Joseph has always believed the word of God. Now, I know he was immature and foolish with his dream talk at age 17, but in every season, Joseph has trusted God and prospered. In slavery, he trusted God and prospered. In prison, he trusted God and prospered. In Pharaoh's court, Joseph believed and lived according to the word of God, and God prospered him. Joseph proves James right. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joseph's faith and commitment grew stronger by his suffering in the Spirit. And so should yours. 
Joseph proves Paul right in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It was God who strengthened Joseph. It was God's purpose to make Joseph the shepherd and the rock of Israel. And he's the one who saw God's people live and not die. This is the kind of Christ that Jesus will be. He will suffer and die. He will sacrifice himself for us, sinners. It will be as though God places his left hand of curse upon Jesus' head so that he can place the right hand of his blessing on our heads. Then he will rise from the dead and ascend to the place of majesty and from there rule over his people, the church. And don't miss this about Joseph. Because right here, Joseph has peaked. He knew what he was doing when he gave his boys to Israel. And he knows what's happening now. He has faithfully fulfilled his purpose. And he and his descendants will certainly be blessed. But Joseph is now being set aside. And he accepts that. He's happy for God to have his own perfect way with his sons and with his people. It's as if Joseph says, less of me, Lord, and more of Judah and Jesus. One day Egypt will forget that there ever was a Joseph. And at just the right time, God himself will rescue his people. Joseph hoped and believed in that because it was the word of God. A word about Benjamin. I can't help but mention two men who will come from the line of Benjamin. I wonder if you know who I'm thinking about. Two men, both named Saul. The first, we could say the one who comes in the morning, is King Saul. The second, we could say the one who comes in the evening was Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. Both were like ravenous wolves, weren't they? King Saul devoured his thousands, but was himself devoured by his own thirst for power and spoils and his unbelief. The Apostle Paul devoured the church until he encountered Jesus Christ the Lion of Judah. And from then on, he devoured the lost with the power of the gospel and its proclamation and brought the spoils, many redeemed souls, into the kingdom. Just one more verse, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So I wonder if you were to close your eyes this morning and review your life, close your eyes and review or examine your character, how you might describe what blessing you think would be suitable to you. Are you like Judah? 
Have you been transformed by the grace of God? Have you rejected your sinful ways and are you pursuing the holiness of God in your life? Are you willingly sacrificing yourself for the glory of God? Are you like Joseph? Believing every word that comes from the mouth of God? Suffering well and profiting from it? Do your words and actions point others to Jesus, your Savior? Are you like Jacob? Being renewed day by day. Knowing Christ more today than you knew him yesterday? I hope so. See, the book of Genesis is for us to do a work in us, to help us in all of these ways. But the book of Genesis is about God. It is about God and His grace to us in Jesus, our King and Messiah, so that we would love Him more and serve Him more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, encourage us and strengthen us to know that your gift to us of Jesus began so long ago that it's not a recent plan, but it's your forever plan to save sinners through Christ for your glory. Grow us, we pray, that we would be faithful and sacrificial, profiting in our suffering, which you have brought to us, proclaiming the gospel that saves, especially to our children and grandchildren. Lord, we pray that you would bless and strengthen your church in these ways. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.